If you're following the insert in the bulletin today, you're looking at the outline. I've entitled this particular lesson, Seven Dangerous Nations. Seven Dangerous Nations. When we think about the situation, the world situation at any time, it's not unique to us today. It is kind of a situation that maybe just different names rise to the occasion, but it's a situation that has been repeated throughout history, basically. At any point in history, there are dangerous nations, dangerous nations. And these are nations that we would think today and we would say, well, yeah, I, I know, I, I could think of Russia, I could think of China, I could think of maybe North Korea and Iran and Iraq and Syria, and, and maybe several others would come to the minds of different individuals as being dangerous nations on the world scene right now, threatening peace and stability. But then others would think of nations in which it is dangerous to live, maybe not threatening world peace, but place where you wouldn't want to be living right now necessarily, or if you did live there, you say, I've got to be careful, I've already got, always got to be on the, on, the, on the lookout. And again, places such as Ukraine and Russia and China, but also many nations within the Middle East and, and Central America in some cases, in some places, maybe some nations in Africa, maybe some parts of Mexico and Venezuela, but let's not get haughty because a whole lot of folks would say, yeah, a lot of the big cities in the United States I've got to be very careful in because they're dangerous places to live, and at least in a lot of those sections. But I don't want to talk about geographic nations this evening. I want to talk about seven nations that are personally dangerous to us. Seven nations that are personally dangerous to us and threatening to our personal security. Now the first one I want us to think about is, is abominations and we need to be alert and we need to be on guard and we need to carefully avoid these particular nations. And the first one that might jump to our mind, we say, well, abominations. Well, you understand I'm using a play on words in all of these. But abominations, abominations. We need to be on guard against the practices that God would call abominations. At least in a couple of texts in the scriptures, God was in his word very detailed about some practices that he considered to be abominations to him. Going back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, 18, verse, beginning with verse 9 and going through verse 13, Moses on the eastern bank of the Jordan River, he was running the Israelite nation through a kind of a summary, you know, remember the way it was, this is kind of the history where you've come from, what's gone on over the last 40 years, your time in Egypt, and so on. And so he comes in, in chapter 18, and beginning with verse 9, he says, when you came into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. They were going to cross into the land that would become the land of Israel. At that time, it was the land of Canaan. It was the land that God kept telling Abraham and his descendants, Isaac and Jacob, and then it would be the sons of Jacob and their families and so on as they grew into the nation of Israel within the borders of Egypt over a period of 400 or so years. This is the promised land. That's how God rem reminded them and, uh, of it and, and spoke to them of it and characterized it. I promised this land to you. And so 
Now Moses is saying, you're about to enter that land. You're going to cross this river, the Jordan River, pretty soon. And I want to remind you of where you have been and what you have to look forward to. And I also want to caution you about God's instructions along the way as you begin to conquer this land. Don't learn, don't follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. Now you might scratch your head and say, what in the world does that mean, passing through the fire? You see, one of the abominations of some of the people within the land of Canaan at that time was that they would offer children as sacrifices to their idols. Yes, they would burn them on altars. And God says, don't you ever take part in anything like that. Nothing like that. Or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer or one who conjures spells or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls up the dead. Now we might look at some of those practices on the part of some people even today well, with kind of a wink and a nod, maybe some would even say, you know, I, they, I, I wouldn't mind sitting down with somebody who could read my palm. God says there's evil behind all of that. And he warns his people through Moses at this time. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. They were supposed to follow God faithfully all of the time. In Proverbs chapter 6, we see some practices that are more commonplace as far as how we conduct ourselves. Those were talking about practices that were linked to idolatry, the worship of idols back in Deuteronomy chapter 18. But in Proverbs chapter six, we talk about some things, some practices, some behaviors that we find all around us. Maybe some of us find ourselves struggling with some of them ourselves personally. And so these six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. We're talking about strong word, abomination. It goes even beyond, I don't like that, way beyond that. Or this is something you need to stay away from. Or this might be something that, that you never should take part in. No, strong descriptive word, it, these are abominations before God. And some of them we would read and we say, really, are they that bad? abominations before God, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies. Remember that all liars shall find their part of the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, Revelation 21 and verse 8, and one who sows discord among brethren. Abominations, abominations. Well, the second dangerous nation that we need to stay away from is contamination. You might say, well, contamination. We think about contamination, then we think about, well, maybe some kind of virus or some kind of bacteria or maybe contamination from nuclear you know, fallout or whatever. But we must be careful to not become contaminated with worldly living. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 15, John warns us that we need to not be contaminated with the ways of the world. We, not to we, we need to not live our lives by worldly living. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now that ought to stop us right there and say, that's enough. I understand. I don't even need to read any further. If I'm living in the ways of the world, I'm not walking with God. I've learned my lesson. I repent. I want to change my life. But he goes on. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Think about in Noah's day. The state of mankind had become so evil, so wicked, that the thoughts and intents of his heart were only evil continually. Genesis 6 and verse 5. So that meant if you were talking to somebody, you better keep your eyes on them because there's no telling what they might do if you turned your back. If they were telling you something, you better really try to analyze it because they were liable to be telling you a lie because that's the way mankind was all over the world with the exception of one family, Noah and his family. Well, this world is passing away and the lust of it, he who does the will of God abides forever. God told Noah, mankind is so wicked, I'm going to bring them to an end. And one day God will send his son back to this world and bring this world as we know it to an end. Now, look at how the apostle Paul laid out worldly practices and lifestyles. In Genesis chapter 5, beginning with verse 19, he said, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication. He had to throw those two in right at the, right at the beginning, didn't he? Well, that's not popular in our culture, in our country today. What do you mean you're condemning adultery and fornication? Right at the top of the list. Uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And so it's just a representative list. And the like is a catch-all phrase that says, and any other kind of practice or lifestyle or ungodly behavior that would be along these lines. Then Paul says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Not inherit the kingdom of God. If we become contaminated with worldly living, and that's our lifestyle, Paul says you're not going to be in heaven. That ought to shake us to our boots, shake us to our souls. So we need to keep ourselves uncontaminated with worldliness. James 1.27, pure and undefiled before God and the Father, is this to visit widows and orphans in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So abominations, one of those seven dangerous nations for us personally, contamination, being contaminated with worldly living. Well, what about this one, procrastination? Whoa, 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 wait. Yeah, yeah, let's get rid of that one, right? Procrastination. Putting things off that we should get done. Now, we all do that probably. We all do that probably. 
yeah, I, 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 I need to take care of this particular situation at the house, but you know, uh, I'll get to it. But what he's really talking about by way of procrastination is walking with God in faithfulness, getting our lives right. How many people have not become Christians because they said, I, one day I'm gonna get it straight. One day I'm gonna take care of it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna dedicate my life to God. Thinking about that, Felix procrastinated when confronted with his worldly lifestyle. Acts 24, beginning with verse 24. After some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, and Felix was the governor at that time, Roman governor, Paul was in prison for the first time under Roman incarceration. And his wife Drusilla was Jewish. He sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now we would applaud Felix for wanting to hear about Christianity, but he wasn't ready to hear the depths of Christianity because as Paul taught him and his wife at that time, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. He procrastinated. We never have a record in the scriptures of his ever making that decision, I need to change my life. I need forgiveness. I need to repent. I need to come to God through my Lord. I need to be baptized for the remission of my sins. King Agrippa, when Paul was giving his defense before Agrippa and Felix, uh, another, or rather Festus, the next Roman governor. At one point, Agrippa the king said to him who knows, I, I'm, I'm sorry, procrastination, getting ahead of myself a little bit here. And so James wrote in James chapter 4 and verse 17, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, it is sin. King Agrippa at one point, listening to Paul as he was ready to be shipped off to Rome to appeal to Caesar, and Festus, the Roman governor at that time, along with King Agrippa, listening to Paul, and Paul basically preached the gospel as his line of defense, and Agrippa said, in a short time, you would make me a Christian, as one translation goes roughly, the King James, New King James Version says, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. But again, we have no record that King Agrippa ever became a Christian. He procrastinated. And we have no scripture record that he ever pulled the trigger and became a Christian himself. Well, the next, the fourth dangerous nation is discrimination. Discrimination. Now, usually when we're in any culture where discrimination is practiced, and that would probably be in most every culture across the world, we naturally mentally focus on the discrimination that we see around us. But discrimination comes in all kinds of forms and in, from all kinds of directions. There are people who live in the north part of our country who, are, who you know, really look down on people from the south and vice versa, there are people in the south who look down on people from the north. There are people from the big cities who look down upon people who live in little podunk towns as they might call them or think of them. There are people who live in, on, the, on the east coast and the west coast who look down upon people in the Midwest. 
and flyover country, and some of those in the flyover country might look down on those folks as, you know, and, and it's, it, discrimination comes in all forms. It's not limited to color, it's not limited to, to uh, uh, ethnicity, it's not limited to uh, even education or, or, or nation. It comes from all kinds of different directions and it is wrong in every case. All mankind has been created in God's image by God's will. In Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He created us unique from everything else that he created in that he created us in his image with a spiritual being within our physical body. We have a soul, and that's different from everything else that he created. In Matthew chapter 22, in verse 39, in that particular setting, Jesus had been asked by some of his, I think probably at least some of them we could understand as, as accusers, challengers, what is the great commandment in the law? And so he responded first, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, but he didn't stop there. And then in verse 39, he went on and said, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Discrimination, we need to be careful about. We're all God's creation in his image, and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And as Christians, especially as we become Christians, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, the Apostle Paul said, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. We're all one in Christ. So the first four dangerous nations, abomination, contamination with worldliness, procrastination, putting off what we know we should be doing, but we don't do it. Or we try to keep putting it off and sometimes it never gets done. And especially from a spiritual perspective, how dangerous that is. What a dangerous nation that is. And then discrimination. And then number five is termination. And you, what are you you're talking about death? Um, no, pre-death. But spiritual death certainly could be identified in this particular uh, statement or, or you know, reference determination. You see, many people become Christians, and the Lord adds them to the church when they become Christians. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Back up in verse... 37 of Acts chapter 2, there were many on Pentecost in that day who said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter responded, he said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter went on and preached longer, and then it says about 3,000 put their Lord on in baptism that day. And then as you see the very early days of the church, how they were worshiping God, how they were coming together in Christian fellowship, and then praising God and having favor with all the people the Lord added to the church daily or day by day, those who were coming to salvation through Christ. 
there are a lot of people who take that step and they're baptized into Christ. I've seen it on numerous occasions and probably a great many of us here have seen the same thing, but somewhere along the line and a lot of times very quickly, they terminate that relationship and go back into the sinful ways of the world. They go back into contamination with worldliness. They turn away from the church and by turning away from the church, they're turning away from the Lord because the church is the Lord's body. Their end is worse for them than it, that it was before they had become a Christian and they were already lost in sin before they became a Christian. In 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 20, the apostle Peter wrote, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, they become contaminated again. Contamination, that dangerous nation, going back into the ways of the world, Peter says the latter end is worse for them than than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Interesting depictions and descriptions, aren't they? Characterizations that might kind of naturally say that's that's repulsive that's yucky you know how gross is that a dog vomiting and then going up and eating up his vomit after it made him sick but it's purposeful on peter's part to show how horrible it is to terminate that relationship by going back into sin again lost in sin to begin with the wages of sin is death Romans 6 and verse 23, but the rest of the verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how could it be worse than the beginning? I've wondered about that most of my life. Perhaps it's the idea that you knew what you had in the palm of your hand and you threw it away. You were saved, you were forgiven, you were redeemed and you threw it away. And then how horrible must that be in eternity in the punishment of hell to think I had it and I threw it away. Now let's look at this next one. So abominations, contamination, procrastination, discrimination, termination, and this is one that a lot of people would take exception with. Denominations. Denominations. While appearing outwardly spiritual, denominations cause division. Just look up the meaning of the word denomination. You can go into a bank, you can say, please cash this check for $200. They might ask you, what denominations of bills would you like? I'd like so many hundreds, or I'd like so many fifties, or I'd like so many twenties, or I'd like so many fives, or tens, or ones. Denominations. Dividing the currency up into categories. Denominationalism has done that with quote-unquote Christianity. The followers of Christ, those who would want to follow Christ, denominationalism has divided them into different groups that believe and teach and practice different things doctrinally. 
But Jesus prayed for all true Christians to be one, absolutely, totally united, and he used himself and God the Father as the example of complete unity. John chapter 17, beginning with verse 20, the night of his betrayal. He says, I do not pray for these alone. He had been really specifying this prayer about the apostles up to this point, largely. But he says, I'm, I'm not praying just for them. But also for those who will believe in me through their word, those who are going to become Christians down the road through the teaching of the gospel, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they all may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. There is no disunity whatsoever between God the Father and God the Son. Totally on the same page, as we might put it. And Jesus said, this degree of unity will be a great, a great testimony, a great lesson for the non-Christian world around us. If they see my followers totally, absolutely united, believing, teaching, and practicing the same things doctrinally. Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Basic Christian doctrine, all united on that. And when the Apostle Paul was writing that first recorded letter to the Corinthian congregations, right off the bat, he rebuked them and challenged them over their disunity. He said, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Five different expressions of unity that he proclaimed to them, completely united. But denominationalism means division. So watch out for that dangerous nation, denominations. And then finally, the last and the worst of all, the most dangerous of all, is condemnation. Condemnation. The worst words that a human being can hear, that you or I could ever imagine hearing, is Jesus in the final day of judgment saying, depart from me. Get away from me. We certainly do not want to hear that word or that statement. But then in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 23, it's even preceded by three or four other words. I never knew you. I can't imagine the impact of those two statements to anybody on that final day of judgment. I never knew you. Depart from me. Depart from me. Means you're not going to get into that. You're not going to cross the threshold through those pearly gates to enter onto those golden streets. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul said, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We will all give account. 
Every single one of us. Condemnation is the worst of all, the scariest of all, because we're talking about eternity. When we look at the psalmist in Psalm 9 and verse 17, he wrote, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. But someone says, well, yeah, that's the wicked. That's not me. That's somebody who, you know, beats up old ladies and steals their purses or, or you know, axe murderers or somebody who, who is, you know, a, a pedophile or something. And they go on. Remember those, those, that list of abominations, the proud look, the lying tongue, feet that are swift to run to mischief. See, we want, to, we want to compare ourselves to some of the worst and say, I'm a whole lot better than that. If we have not yet surrendered our lives to our Lord in repentance, that's what Peter said first right off the bat, a change of mind that's going to be a determination to change my life, to turn away from sinfulness and to start living in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. As I'm baptized into him, for the remission of my sins, so that I can be reborn spiritually, made new spiritually. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, I'm in that group that are living in the dangerous, most dangerous nation of all, condemnation. Are you caught up in one or more of these dangerous nations? Abominations, contamination, procrastination, Discrimination, termination, denominations, condemnation. Your soul could be in jeopardy right now, if that's the case. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter, <clears throat> chapter 6, beginning with verse 17. Come out from among them. Get out of those nations, as we're making the point today, the play on words that could lead you to eternal condemnation. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Come out from among them. Come to God through Jesus Christ, and stay away from these seven dangerous nations. Do not live your lives in them. If you need to come to Jesus this morning, be baptized for the remission of your sins. He's waiting for you with open arms. We're here to help you. If you need the prayers of the church, we're here to thankfully and humbly and lovingly pray with you and for you. If you need to talk, if you need to study, ask us. We will make that happen. If you need to come, Come right now as we stand together and sing.